If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good evening and welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We gather on this night during Holy Week to remember what happened in those hours before Jesus was betrayed, to remember how he prepared, and to remember his deepest hope for those who followed him. Mandi comes from the Latin mandatum, meaning commandment, in reference to the new commandment Jesus gave the disciples on this day. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It was on this night that Jesus had his last meal with them. Jesus broke bread, washed the disciples' feet, and hinted at his coming crucifixion and betrayal. It is our tradition to mark this evening by enacting the practices we read about in the text. Now let us begin with our call to worship. Tonight we remember the last time Jesus gathered with all of the disciples. We remember the ways he tried to prepare them for what was to come. We remember the words he spoke, knowing that they were not just for them, but for us. Tonight we remember how deeply Jesus loved friend and foe, offering an open hand to both. Tonight, we remember to do the same, for he asked us to love one another. Tonight, we remember that love is how they will know that we are his disciples. Tonight, we move in closer, anticipating a word of challenge and word of comfort. May the Spirit of God shape us and form us in all of this remembering. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 and 31b through 35. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour was to come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that 
he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet had put on he, and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one's another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Now, it may seem that what we are about to do is a little bit out of order, we usually finish worship with communion, that's true, but on this Maundy Thursday, the scripture comes from the Gospel of John, and John likes to keep us on our toes. You may have noticed the text does not include a replay of Jesus breaking bread or blessing the cup, that's because the Gospel of John does not include it. The other Gospels do, of course. Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. And in Mark 14, 23, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And in Luke chapter 22, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Well, we don't hear any of that in John. But if we, if we go back and look at the text a little more closely, we do find that the reading for Maundy Thursday does include 
a meal, it actually begins with it. I'm going to just read it back for you. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all these things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table. Apparently, the breaking of bread and the blessing of the cup had already happened. So tonight, we come to the table, perhaps a bit more like the disciples than we thought was possible, familiar with Jesus' table practice, but with a hunch that something more is happening. It's possible we're not sure if we're ready. Have we been in the pews long enough? Or are we qualified? Has it been too long since the last time we received communion? What are the prerequisites? The good news is this. Nothing indicates that Jesus surveyed the disciples before the meal they shared that night. So we don't do that either. All that is required is a willing spirit. God has already done the rest. All we need to do is accept the invitation. The invitation to the table does not wait for us to be ready. The invitation comes whether or not we got here early or just wandered in, even if we didn't comb the kids' hair or we rushed straight from the office. Instead of worrying what has or hasn't been confessed, or what it does or doesn't mean, we trust that the only necessary thing is for us to have shown up. Settle our minds, Holy One, that we can receive this blessing as we find our breath and release the tension in our hearts. Fill us with the assurance that comes with being loved unconditionally. Let us come to the table, for we know all is ready. As we come to the table today, we remember that Jesus gathered his friends for a meal that was more than what it seemed. So, too, we gather for this meal that is more than what it seems. As we come to the table today, we remember that Jesus did not curate the guest list. Jesus did not ask anyone to give up their seat for someone more faithful. I mean, Jesus was there, Peter was there. This is how we know that there is a seat for us, always, even on our worst days. As we come to the table today, we remember that Jesus used what was on the table to mark a sacred moment. So we remember that all we need is prophetic imagination and anything that can be used for a blessing. As we come to the table today, we remember that Jesus did not prepare to face the hardness of the world by hardening himself, but instead by calling us to love one another. It is in remembrance of him that we hear those ancient words and resolve to keep our hearts tender towards each other. Please take your elements for communion, hold them in front of you, and let us bless them together with 
a word of prayer. On a night like this, Jesus gathered with his closest friends around a table. On a night like this, Jesus blessed and broke the bread. On a night like this, Jesus blessed and poured the cup. So tonight, we dare to do the same. We ask a blessing on the bread and the cup, Holy One, believing that love will transform this simple meal just as it did so long ago. Bless the bread, though broken and crumbly, feeds us with hope and fills us with strength. Bless the cup, which causes us to thirst for justice and righteousness and fills us with grace. We pray in the name of Jesus, who showed us how to make the ordinary sacred. Amen. And just as Jesus and the disciples ate the bread and the cup after they were blessed, we do so now. And now let us offer a prayer of thanksgiving together. We are grateful, Holy One, every time we eat the bread, for our brokenness is made whole. We are grateful every time we drink from the cup, for we receive unceasing grace. We are grateful every time we come to the table, for we remember that mystery called faith. God of last suppers, we carry this night with us as we go forth to bring hope where despair resides, to offer balm to the hurting and to love unconditionally. We pray in the name of Jesus, who has made a way for us. Amen. Concerned that it would just add to the already existing anxiety around foot washing. <laughs> we have, in the past, done foot washing literally on Maundy Thursday, and for some it is a powerful and meaningful experience. For others, well, we stay firmly seated in our pews, shoelaces double-knotted, just to be clear that we'd rather not. Then there are the in-betweeners, those of us who get a pedicure for Maundy Thursday because, well, if we're going to have to have someone wash our feet. It's possible you assume that falling into any of the categories other than the first one, the, the joyful foot washies, that it makes you not as spiritual or perhaps less holy than those who are enthusiastic about ecclesiastical foot washing. But you've heard the story, so you know that's not actually true. Even Simon Peter had reservations, and when all was said and done, Peter was still counted as faithful. And to be fair to Peter, events did not unfold in a way that would have made sense to any of the disciples. As we noted earlier, John does things a little different in his gospel, and not just 
compared to the other Gospels. This whole foot washing thing is an excellent example. First of all, washing usually took place before the meal, not in the middle of it. This should have happened as they walked in the door so as not to track in the dirt and dust from the road. I mean, imagine, writes theologian Jim Somerville, Jesus is at the table with his disciples, all of them reclining, propped up on their elbows, dipping pita bread into bowls of savory hummus and smacking their lips, licking their fingers. The sounds of conversation fill the room, punctuated from time to time by loud laughter or the clink of one clay cup against another. Oil lamps flicker, their light reflected in the shining eyes of the disciples. And while all of this is going on, Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his outer robe, wraps a a towel around his waist, and pours water into a basin and begins to wash their feet? Second, that Jesus was doing the washing would have been absolutely backwards to the disciples. You heard it. Masters have their feet washed by the servants and teachers by their students, not the other way around. No wonder Peter blurts out, well, you will never wash my feet. There are certainly lessons to be learned about what foot washing means, what it meant for Jesus to do this for the disciples, what it meant for the disciples to receive this act of service from him. But at its core, that moment, that foot washing, was really about a blessing. This moment is about Jesus preparing the disciples for what lay ahead What we know for sure is that Jesus took this moment in part because he himself had just had his feet washed by Mary, who anointed him with perfume and given him a blessing, an act of deep care, tender care. As you remember in the chapter before the one we read tonight, John tells us of Mary anointing Jesus, and that same word, ekmaso, is used to describe how both Mary and Jesus wiped the feet of those they loved. Jesus was so moved by Mary's act of love that he repeated it. He paid it forward. There is a rich intimacy as we imagine Jesus moving from one disciple to the next to wash their feet. Those feet had carried them through a lot. Miracles, political and religious disputes, despair, hope, weariness, joy, and confusion. And those same feet would soon bear the weight of violence, death, and resurrection. Jesus blessed them for the work ahead. And we can imagine that as he moved one to the next, Jesus had words specifically for each person, that he looked them in the eye and spoke directly to them. And he then, in what is arguably his most direct teaching, gave them the command that inspired this night for us. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
These were the words Jesus believed they needed to hear before things got really complicated and hard. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So tonight, this is what we will do for each other. We will bless each other for the work ahead, for we, too, face everything that the disciples did. Miracles, political and religious disputes, despair, hope, weariness, joy, and confusion. And we begin with a blessing. So whether you are in person or online, find your feet on the floor, drop your shoulders, lean forward a bit, and open your heart. Let there be a calming of the clamoring, a stilling of the voices that have laid their claim on you, that have made their home in you, that go with you even to the holy places, but will not let you rest, will not let you hear your life with wholeness or feel the grace that fashioned you. Let what distracts you cease. Let what divides you cease. Let there come to an end what diminishes and demeans, and let depart what keeps you in its cage. Let there be an opening into that quiet that lies beneath the chaos where you find the peace you did not think possible and see what shimmers within the storm. Let this moment be an anchor, something to which you hold fast. Grace and peace, beloveds. Amen. Let us go with a word of blessing. May we always be the first to confess, the last to lose hope, and ever tender-hearted. In our living and breathing and being, may the Spirit of God fill us to the brim so that we go in peace, pray for peace, wage a little peace, and love one another every single other. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.